if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. As we get started on this free-for-all Friday at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, it is the 12th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Once again, today, we are loaded for bear. A lot of very important people to talk to. Starting at 935, we're going to get the latest on the threats of COVID 2.0 or the second wave, as it is being referred to by some. We're going to find out why it is that the science and the experts and the doctors that we were told to trust way back in February and March as it pertains to what the real threat of COVID-19 or the Chinese coronavirus was, why it is that the science and the doctors cannot get its act together, why the WHO told us one thing and then another thing and went back and forth on it about 10 different times, why the CDC following the World Health Organization's lead has done the same. Dr. John Davidson, University Hospitals, Case Western Reserve, um, university professor at their medical school, will be joining us to talk about all of that at 935. At 10.10, we're going to talk with State Representative Jenna Powell. We talked to her about this back in March, and now that there is um, kind of some proof, essentially, that what uh, she feared was going to happen in Ohio as it pertains to high school athletics... Uh, it's coming to fruition. We have to talk to her again. The pre-participation physical evaluation forms are out from the OHSAA, and they ask two very interesting questions when it comes to sex and or gender. And Jenna Powell, who sponsored a bill called the Save Women's Sports Act in the state of Ohio, is going to talk about that with us as well. Also, uh, Representative Powell will talk to us about opening the state of Ohio, which may may have gotten easier yesterday with the resignation of the mumbling, bumbling, stumbling lab coat, Amy Acton, stepping down from her position as Ohio Health Director. By the way, in order to accept a newly created position as Mike DeWine's chief health advisor. So she's still going to be eating your tax dollars, and she's still going to be essentially useless. How do we know it's useless? Because there's never been a health advisor to any governor in the state of Ohio. Mike DeWine is going to create a position 
to use up, what was she making, $185,000 a year, I think it was, as the official health director of the state of Ohio, the uh, director of the Department of Health. So now she's probably going to be take, making that, if not more, while somebody else makes what she was doing, uh, making at the uh, Department of Health. But Amy Acton is out, and of course, you know I'm going to have thoughts on that in just a few. And then coming up at uh, 1035, we're going to do a little charity. We're just going to talk about a really wonderful event that is coming up for a very wonderful purpose. And uh, we'll talk to uh, Tony DeRazio, who is going to be organizing that uh, uh, event coming up in about a week jacobsladderfitness.com if you want a little teaser on that. So uh, Dr. John Davidson, State Representative Powell, and Tony DeRazio are the guests today. In between those calls, or interviews rather, I will take your calls. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine. I'm going to hold off on social media because, again, I use it on an as-needed basis now. It is so incredibly evil and so incredibly dangerous. All right, um, we're going to start, though, not, believe it or not, with the walking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat. I've got plenty of time for her. We're going to start with what's happening in Seattle, Washington, or what used to be known as Seattle, Washington, but now what is known as at least a section of it, a six- to seven-block section of it, known as CHAZ, C-H-A-Z, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Essentially, Seattle is under siege. Seattle's been overtaken by rabid, wild anarchists, far leftists who want to claim their own country. They say they are essentially seceding from the state of Washington, and thus then, from the United States, they are going to build their own city, their own rules. It will be police-free. They want the mayor of the actual city of Seattle fired or to resign. And they have the support of the mayor of Seattle. Strangely, oddly, confusingly, Bizarrely enough, deal with her own problems at home in her backyard first. Jenny uh, Durkin, welcome back, Ms. Mayor. It's good to have you. Good to see you, Chris. Glad you're back. Chris Cuomo, by the way, referring to her as Ms. Mayor, a woman who has voluntarily given up her city. Let me say that again. She has voluntarily given up her city and claims that the terrorists who have taken it over are not terrorists, they are patriots. Listen to more of Jenny Durkin in a place she feels very comfortable on far-left CNN. Criticism. So I know it will shock you that the president is perhaps not giving an accurate or truthful picture. Um, We've got four blocks in Seattle that you just saw pictures of that is more like a block party atmosphere. It's not an armed takeover. It's not a military junta. Um, (laughs) They seized... They seized a police precinct amidst the other buildings and uh, and uh, uh, area of this now six to seven block um, cordon zone that they, by the way, did immediately cordon off. Isn't that funny? The first thing that they did when declaring themselves a sovereign territory, the Chaz Autonomous Zone, they built barriers to establish their borders and to keep other people out. In other words, they built a great wall. That's the first thing that they did. And they are patrolling the area with armed guards. They don't want police, but they have appointed their own armed guards. And here's Jenny Durkin telling us it's not an armed takeover or a military junta. We will we will make sure that we can restore this, but we have block parties and, and the like in this part of Seattle all the time. It's <laughs> yeah, block parties. We have block party. They're having a block party. Yeah, a seven block block party, and they have run our police out of their own precinct. 
and they have declared themselves a sovereign city or or state, if you will. They are uh, they are uh, conducting stop and frisk of anybody who tries to walk near or in their area. They are guarding it with arms. It's a block party. These people are dangerous. And I'm not talking about the anarchists. I'm talking about people like Mayor Jenny Durkin. Dangerous. Her city has been overrun by anarchists, and she supports them. That's how far left and off the the rails the Democrat Party has gone. They're supporting the people that are overtaking an American city. And doing what? What are they doing while the mayor and the governor, Jay Inslee, fumble and stumble and bumble to declare this just a block party? They are emboldening Antifa and anarchists and Black Lives Matter anarchists in other cities as well. Do you think this is going to stop in Seattle? You don't think that this is going to happen in other places where they know that the police are scared to death to defend their own precinct? What do they think? The police in the middle of all of this anti-police chaos going on in this country right now, are they going to shoot? Of course they're not going to shoot. And they're not going to get into riot gear and get in to get out the batons and beat down the protesters who are trying to take over the precinct. They'll scatter and flee too. This is emboldening anarchy. And Jenny Durkin thinks it's cute. It's known for that. So I think the president, number one, there is no threat right now to the public. And we're looking, we're taking that very seriously. We're meeting with businesses and residents. But what the president threatened is illegal and unconstitutional. And the fact that he can think he can just tweet that and not have ramifications is just wrong. If you are not going to take back this city and stop the emboldening of others from doing likewise in other cities, the president is not only uh, justified in his comments, he would be absolutely constitutionally sound in ordering military to come in and establish control where you won't. If you are too much of a coward... Because she's here's the bottom line. She's scared to death of these people. Jenny Durkin is terrified of the anarchists who are running Chaz, the autonomous zone. They want her to resign. They want her to resign. They think she is not far left enough because she has not called for the abolition of the police there. They want her to resign, and so she is pandering to them even as they take over her city. You know, doesn't think this is... Oh, and by the way, let me throw another line at you. Jenny Durkin declared that, quote, lawfully gathering and expressing First Amendment rights, first of all, there's nothing lawful about cordoning off a section of the city, running police out of a precinct, declaring your own set of laws and rules, that, that's not lawful at all. But she said, lawfully gathering and expressing First Amendment rights, demanding we do better as a society and provide true equity for communities of color is not terrorism, she said, it's patriotism. So she said these are lawful people. Lawful people just expressing their First Amendment rights. Let's ask the chief of police of the city of Seattle if this is a lawful gathering 
an unlawful block party that is going on uh, in, uh, in and around Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. Um, our 911 uh, response times have tripled in the area. They've gone from just over five minutes to about 18 minutes. Rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area they were not able to get to. So it is not a right for us not to be able to deploy our officers here. Rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area, and we're not able to get to them because of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, because of the anarchists, because of Black Lives Matter, because of Antifa. We can't get to places crimes are being committed in that area because they have blocked us and locked us out. Tell me again, you rabid, radical, progressive twit. And she is, she's, a, she's, she's a quarter wit. She's not even a half wit. She's a quarter wit, Jenny Durkin is. Tell us again. And tell us why your chief of police disagrees with every single thing you said. She's apologizing. The chief of police in Seattle, uh, Carmen Best, is apologizing. She's addressing the officers and saying, I'm so sorry that we had to do what we are doing right now. This was not my call. In other words, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want to abandon the precinct. The, the uh, mayor forced this. This was not something that I chose to do. And this is not something that we fight for as officers, which, of course, is to keep the rule of law, to just simply abandon it when things get tough. This is a little bit from Chief Carmen Best. SPD family, I say that because that is what you are. You are my family. And family is honest with each other. And family has tough times. But in the end, we always remain family. This is, again, Chief of Police Carmen Best, uh, the Seattle Police Chief, uh, kind of rebutting a little bit about what the mayor had to say and uh, supporting, uh, showing support for her officers. SPD family. Uh, sorry, it was supposed to get to the next clip there. That's okay. I'll fix that. It's 920 in time for our break anyway. But I want to come back and give you a little bit more of the news, what is going on in Seattle and what this means to, I don't know, Cleveland? Cincinnati, Columbus, yes, maybe in Ohio, maybe it'll be Los Angeles next, who knows, maybe it'll be Chicago, maybe it'll be in another state, but you better believe that since this is being, uh, this is successful and they are being called patriots, not terrorists, by the far left mayor of the city of Seattle, know that it is coming to another city, whether it's near us or not yet, we don't know, but it is, hap- it is happening, and we'll talk more after this time out on AM 1420. Okay, 925, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I'm going to give you that last clip that I wanted to share with you uh, from Seattle. Carmen Best is the chief of police there responding to Jenny Durkin, the mayor, and her pronouncement that this is a lawful block party. It's just a great time. There's no armed insurgents there, or there are no armed anarchists there. There's no terrorism there. It's a whole bunch of patriotism, a whole bunch of people saying, we can do better as a country. Yay, us. No, uh, they have declared themselves to be an autonomous zone. Police cannot get in. They cannot stop the rapes and the other violent crimes that are being committed there. And Carmen Best, the uh, chief of police, wants you to know this isn't her fault. 
update you all on the situation at the East Precinct. The decision to board up the precinct, our precinct, our home, the first precinct I worked in, was something I have been holding off. You should know, leaving the precinct was not my decision. You fought for days to protect it. I asked you to stand on that line, day in and day out, to be pelted with projectiles, to be screamed at, threatened, and in some cases hurt. Then to have a change of course nearly two weeks in, it seems like an insult to you and our community. Ultimately, the city had other plans for the building. It doesn't seem like an insult to the officers who fought. It doesn't uh, appear to be. It is an insult. And uh, essentially what I would say to kind of put a bow on this is everything liberalism touches is an insult. Everything it does is an insult. Everything the far left tries to invade upon is an insult to all decency and all law-abiding citizens, including those who are sworn to protect and serve. So Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle, has essentially said, "No, this is all good fun. It's a great party, and they're just uh, they're having a good time, and they're uh, uh, they're not armed, and they're not doing anything illegally." Well, other than the fact that they have built a wall, which of course I thought liberals were against, uh, and they have patrolled their new sector, the autonomous zone, in which police are not allowed. They have patrolled it with arms, and they are using stop and frisk ta- tactics to make sure who is coming in or getting near. So this is a very very serious situation. And President Trump said. If you don't get this straightened out to the mayor of uh, Seattle and to the incompetent, inept governor of the state of Washington, Jay Inslee, then he said the feds will. And they're complaining uh, about such a statement. So Seattle is is simply, quite frankly, in chaos right now. It is a train wreck. Meanwhile, just a little, isn't it amazing how all this stuff happens on the left coast? Meanwhile, just south of Seattle, Washington, you'll find the next big city is Portland, Oregon. And in Portland, Oregon, they are dealing with a similar type of surge. They haven't taken over any police stations yet, but they have declared what they want to do with the police. Wipe them out. Take their money, $35 million, from the police budget, and use that money as, drumroll please, reparations to people of color. Pay reparations to people of color who never experienced anything remotely resembling the horrors of their great-great-great-great ancestors, but pay them for it anyway. Thomas Sowell, one of the most brilliant minds of this and the last few generations, quite frankly, responded to this by saying, quote, We have reached the ultimate stage of absurdity where some people are held responsible for things that happened before they were born, while other people are not held responsible for what they themselves are doing today. End quote. He is 100% correct. St. Louis, by the way, yesterday, no correction, Wednesday, I believe it was, St. Louis uh, released, I learned of it Wednesday, maybe it may have happened even Tuesday or Monday, but released all of those who were arrested for smashing, grabbing, looting, assaulting, etc., etc., during the protests in St. Louis. People who are committing violent crimes today are not being held responsible for it, but as Thomas Sowell says, they expect people, uh, Caucasians, white people, to be held responsible to pay the price for crimes committed for terrible atrocities committed uh, (laughs) a couple of centuries before they were born. 
That's just the absurdity of it all. All right, uh, we're going to get our time out here for the bottom of the hour news. I saved the news of the day in Ohio yesterday, which was the resignation of the mumbling, bumbling, stumbling lab coat Amy Acton. Never before in Ohio history, to my understanding, and I guess I would have to do a little more research, but it just doesn't seem possible or plausible. Never before has one state official been so bad at her job, been so wrong in her predictions, been so wrong in her prescriptions for those predictions for so long, so many times, and not held accountable for it, and in fact been praised for her work. It's, it's, it's a mystery of the ages how people can look at Amy Acton and say, great job. She has uh, stepped down as Ohio Director of Health, which is good news because she can no longer write orders. But the bad news is Mike DeWine is keeping the pro-abortionist, non-doctor, uh, the walking lab coat on his staff in a position that didn't exist before as his chief health advisor. Simply hilarious, if not infuriating. We're going to talk to Dr. John Davidson about the state of health in Ohio, COVID-19, what we're supposed to be doing, what we can expect. Is there going to be COVID-19 number two? Is there going to be a second wave? Dr. Davidson from University Hospitals and from Case Western Reserve University will take your calls, by the way. If you've got questions you want answered about the Chinese coronavirus and uh, health in Ohio, by all means, dial now. We'll put you on the air with Dr. Davidson coming up on AM 1420 The Answer. Nine thirty-six. We continue now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Nice song choice here. I wish we were winning. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily are uh, in too many circumstances right now. I want to share this before I bring on my guest because it kind of it's kind of related. Um, this was from uh, NPR, National Public Radio, which is of course taxpayer funded. NPR uh, put two different reports on their website fourteen minutes apart just a couple of days ago. Um, Here's what, here's what the, uh, the messages were. Two different headlines, rather, I should say. Headline number one reads, quote, Even in a pandemic, WHO, which is World Health Organization, believes that public protests are important. You got that? We're in a pandemic, but go out there and be shoulder to shoulder, not within, or within six feet of each other, and chanting and screaming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Public protests are important, even in a pandemic. 14 minutes later, they ran this headline. Trump to restart political rallies this month, despite coronavirus pandemic. The obvious inference, if you're protesting something progressive, uh, like in the first example, don't worry about the pandemic. COVID not going to get you. But if you're out there standing shoulder to shoulder and yelling, make America great again, or keep America great, or go Trump go, or Trump 2020, coronavirus pandemic has got to be factored in here. And in fact, what have the headlines been in the last two days? Coronavirus 2.0 is coming. Coronavirus second wave is coming. This is what they're trying to do. If you still don't think it's political, then I don't think you are paying very much attention to this. When it is serving the purposes of the far left, the coronavirus can just be ignored. When um, uh, somebody in Team Trump, for example, wants to do something, the coronavirus must be feared. 
Joining us now to discuss the latest on the coronavirus, the COVID-19, is Dr. John Davidson. He's been with us before. He is a physician with University Health Centers, uh, and he is also a um, professor uh, at the Case Western Reserve University Medical School. Dr. Davidson, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Bob. Thanks for having me back. It, it's a pleasure. So here's what I want to start with, Dr. Davidson. And by the way, as I mentioned before, uh, if you've got a question for Dr. Davidson, let us know, 216-901-0945. We'll put you on the air with him, and you can ask your question and try to get some answers about what's uh, what's going on here. So, Dr., um, let's start with the World Health Organization's announcement just uh, a few days ago that said, by the way, you know that whole asymptomatic spread yeah, we were really worried that that was going to be the big problem here because people could carry the virus and not even know it because they're not coughing, sneezing, feverish, short of breath or anything else, and they could share that to other people. It's kind of the reason we ordered the lockdowns and recommended them all over the world. Um, yeah, we were wrong. It's pretty rare that asymptomatic people spread it. In fact, so rare as to be almost non-existent. A couple of days later, presumably after extraordinary pressure, the same... World Health Organization official said, yeah, about that asymptomatic spread, um, it might have been responsible for up to 40% of the spread so far. How and why, Dr. Davidson, can we, who are told to trust the physicians and told to trust the science, how can we know what to trust when that's what we're getting from the World Health Organization? Well, let's start with that. First of all, I'm not going to tell you that I'm a, pro- I'm a self-proclaimed public health expert, but I will tell you, to be completely honest, I was quite disgusted with the WHO after that came out. As a physician, I can tell you that. Um, it's confusing. I mean, we're getting all kinds of information from everywhere, social media. Who can we trust? If we can't trust the World Health Organization or the CDC, who can we trust? Uh, as you said, they walked it back literally within the next day or two, and they kind of parsed words a little bit. They talked about, well, we didn't really mean asymptomatic spread. We meant pre-symptomatic spread. I still, as a physician, don't really understand what they're talking about. And if you take it further, uh, a couple days ago or a day ago, Dr. Fauci came in and corrected them and said, no, 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 there is definite asymptomatic spread with this virus. So as a, as a layperson, as a, as a citizen of this country that has no idea what's going on, I can clearly, clearly understand the um, dissatisfaction and, and upset that people would be upset with this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's how are we supposed to know what we can trust and who we can trust? And then let's also go to what the CDC and the World Health Organization said the week prior. And that was, you know, that whole surface spread thing, why we don't want you touching things and why we had to close all kinds of essential business or uh, non-essential businesses. And now we want you to wipe down your hands and use sanitizers because you could touch a surface where the germ might be living because somebody else touched it up to X number of hours or days before. Yeah, we kind of overstated that. Too. Surface spread is something that is not very serious at all. Again, we shut down America. We destroyed millions and millions, tens of millions of jobs. We closed businesses that will never reopen again because of surface spread and asymptomatic spread. And, and now we're being told, not so much. Why should anybody listen to anything the CDC says now? Why shouldn't we all just be able to go back to our lives unrestricted because they don't know what in the living world they're talking about? Yeah, I think, I think you know, my, my feelings on this, when this first started in, in the beginning of March, I think that our leaders really, it's, it's hard looking at this prospectively. Sure, we can look at this in hindsight, that this was all screwed up. The models were all wrong. We should have done this differently. 
I think it was very difficult at the beginning of March, for example, to really come up with the correct plan. Because the only models that we saw, we saw devastation. We, we, we didn't know. We didn't have any information at all, really, about this virus. So we really, really had to err on the side of caution. And as a healthcare worker, our number one goal back at the beginning of March was what? And that was to decrease the burden on our healthcare institutions. And for the most part, we have done that. Um, I think New York City was really the closest to really becoming overburdened. I can tell you in Ohio, we really, really, we never really had a peak in a curve because it was flat all along. We lost millions of dollars. I think Ohio hospitals during the pandemic at one point were losing $50 million a day financially. So it's not just the general economy. Our healthcare institutions were hit hard by this as well. I think that um, we really need to keep our eye on the ball right now. And our eye on the ball, what I mean by that is that this virus is out there. It is dangerous. But who is it dangerous to? I think we have really good evidence now pointing to the fact that it's only dangerous to, A, the older population, and, B, the people with pre-existing conditions. So I think we need to figure out ways to really isolate that population and get on with our lives. Nearly 80%, uh, we are told by the latest numbers in Ohio, 80% of the positive uh, tests and, and infections are in congregate living settings, nursing homes and prisons, where people are living, you know, obviously a lot of people in close proximity, and it's enclosed. Um, nearly 80% of the infections. Yeah. And think yeah. about that, and then think about the, the number of infections, which, of course, is minuscule compared to the actual uh, prognostications and the models that you were talking about that they were, that they were using. Do you believe that the Ohio Department of Health Former Director Dr. Amy Acton was making decisions um, with the best information available because once these new the R not number is another one, Dr. Davidson. You can speak to that if you'd like. Um, the R not number, which we were told was somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five when all of this mm-hmm. started, which means one positive case, one infected person is going to infect between three and five other people, and then each of them three to five more, et cetera, et cetera, leading to this massive spread in this wave. Uh, that never happened. The R naught number now in uh, Mike DeWine admitted this yesterday is lower than one. So, do you think that the Department of Health orders that were put in place by Doctor Acton are still should still be valid today, or should they, along with her title, uh, be lifted and removed? Well, again, it's it's back when these order most of these orders were written. It's hard to get. It's hard to second guess. It's hard to look through a crystal ball and see how things were were going to develop. Um, I'm not a politician. I'm not the one making the rules. Um, I can only give you an opinion. I'm not a public health expert. But I can tell you that we really need to concentrate on protecting our vulnerable. Um, I think we need to get along with our lives. We can get on with our lives if we're smart about this. I think a lot of the numbers, you know, most of the tests that came back positive, you're right, were in that 80, 80, age group of 80 and up. But don't forget, we were only really testing the symptomatic population. We still are, by far, only testing the symptomatic population. We need to get our testing improved. And what I mean by testing is, if we can roll out antibody testing and really figure out who's really been exposed to this, I think it'll be really eye-opening. I think there's, I mean, we're already seeing statistics at 35 40%, even higher, are completely asymptomatic. I bet you these numbers, once we get to the bottom of all this years from now, we're going to see a large percentage of the population that are positive for this virus. 
Uh, we're talking with Dr. John Davidson, University Hospitals, as well as uh, uh, Case Western Reserve University medical prof- uh, professor. So the government, or excuse me, the CDC admitted a couple of weeks back um, that the true death rate, uh, based on including some asymptomatic, or not asymptomatic, excuse me, antibodies, some of the antibodies testing done in some of our larger states, uh, they've applied all of these numbers to the algorithms and come out with the fact that the true mortality rate of people uh, who are infected with COVID-19 is 0.26, which would mean that 99.74% of the population that gets this disease that is infected uh, will survive it. Um, do you believe that the response that has been put in place, and I know you're not a government official and I know you're not a politician, but do you believe that the decisions made in response to this by our politicians was proportionate to the actual threat? In hindsight, no, not at all. I think that we now are showing evidence now that we could have potentially mitigated this a little bit better. Um, with that being said, I mean, it's different. It's, it's hard. It's, a lot of this is apples and oranges throughout the country. Different geographic mixes, different population centers, different densely populated areas, um, different demographics. It all changes things. I can tell you in Ohio, um, our numbers have been low and have stayed low for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, it depends which, you know, you get into the whole chicken before the egg argument, right? Well, are these numbers, uh, are these numbers so low, Bob, because we made these proactive measures? Or are they so low because there really wasn't much to worry about, at, you know, to begin with, and we grossly overreacted? We know which side you're on. Which side you're on. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure that those two arguments out. Um, I could say as time goes on, it looks like that we we probably could have reached a better balance. Um, certainly when it's first started, like I said, we needed to take some pretty draconian measures, in my opinion. There's no question by isolating everyone, you're going you're gonna to combat this virus. If you take everybody and lock them up and don't let them see anybody and don't go to their workplace and don't make a living, no one's going to get the virus. We know that. That's a fact. The problem is people have to have lives. People have to have jobs. People have to have social interaction. These are all problems that we need to get along, get on with the society. Or like you said, we're going to have the other effects, suicide, alcohol, drug addiction, all these things that we're already starting to see. Oh yeah, the numbers the numbers are crazy. They, they the number of calls to suicide hotlines and helplines have quadrupled, quintupled, and uh, and other upples that I can't even uh, I don't even know how to say. Uh, or in in every state, not just Ohio as well. So it's extraordinary. Again, the old you know adage of the cure being worse than the disease. Uh, you know, I, I mean, what 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 I try to say just to interject here a lot is what I try to preach is common sense. A lot of this can be common sense. Common sense sounds like it's well, that's really easy. Why don't we just use common sense? Things like, well, don't touch this, don't touch that, you know, you know, go in, don't go into a store without, you know, breathing on anything. I mean, some people take this too far. We need to use better, we have to have a better idea of how to use common sense as a society. I completely agree with that. I've been dominating the conversation. I forgot I told people they could call in, uh, and they can. So let me get, uh, let's make sure that, uh, Dr. Davidson is locked in there, Marcy, and bring Bo in Cleveland up on the air. Bo, you're on the air with Dr. John Davidson. What's your question, sir? Yeah, I have a question. Uh, they just came here. The Lancet uh, has been embarrassed again for the umpteenth time in the last 20 years about the hydroxychloroquine studies, that they allowed this group of people in England, again, the same type of people that came up with all of the measures of, uh, you know, the COVID being, you know, going to kill 2 million, 3 million people and all that. And now uh, our doctors were 
withholding the hydroxychloroquine in many states and still withholding it right now, even if, you know, people may, may have symptoms that it could uh, counteract. I mean, we had at least a remedy that's working maybe 80, 90 percent of the time if given in a, in a timely fashion. What is going on with our medical establishment? How politicized are they? Well, there's, there's uh, thanks very much no, for the question, Bo. Go ahead, doctor. I was just going to say, there's no politics involved with hydroxychloroquine, is there? Um, <laughs> this is probably the most politicized hot-button topic throughout this whole pandemic that we've seen on both sides. You know, the president touted it. Everyone's against it. The people that, you know, everybody's rooting for these studies to fail, show, show increased death rates. Um, yeah, this Lancet thing that came out that was retracted was kind of um, also disgusting. Uh, turns out that a lot of the data that they used was faulty, and they retracted it, and it got redacted. There's so much politics involved with this. Bottom line is with hydroxychloroquine, there's still there still is not enough data to say one way or the other. Uh, we have these observational studies. We have a lot of these retrospective studies showing, well, it might work. No one's really studied it in the asymptomatic population. We're starting to study it now. Healthcare workers are getting this. Duke University's one center where they're giving it to over 1,000 healthcare workers, and then they're randomizing it. They're doing it the right way in what's called a randomized control study. When those studies start to come out, pay attention to those. Hopefully by July or August we'll start seeing some data. Doctor, last question for you because we're out of time, and it goes to similar, similarly uh, to the hydroxychloroquine question. It's about politics. You probably have seen the uh, letter or have heard of it signed by over a thousand healthcare experts and healthcare professionals uh, that said, in summary, as public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID nineteen transmission. Speaking of the anti-police protests, this should not be confused with a permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. Um, how, as a doctor, how do you feel when you see other doctors saying, if you want to protest uh, police brutality, the COVID isn't a concern. If you want to protest the quarantines, the COVID is a concern. You better stay home. I, I mean, if that doesn't scream politics have invaded the medical f- field here, and maybe they always have been, then I don't know what does. Well, I just take back what I just said on that caller's question about the most politicized, because <laughs> these protests and rallies are incredibly politicized. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Personally, I have a problem with it. I don't think we should be as politicized as we are, but again, it's reality. And it's reality that most of academia and most even healthcare institutions I think we can guess where their um, political thought processes are, and there's hypocrisy involved with where these where these political, you know, some are acceptable and some aren't. Why is a protest, you know, gathering of thousands of people okay because quote unquote that's the right thing to do, but other things, if they're deemed quote unquote not the right thing to do, then no, you should not be going to those. It's hypocrisy, and I don't like it. I love the order of one California county that said, uh, you know, updated stay-at-home order. Social ga- social uh, outdoor gatherings, up to 12 people. Protests, up to 100 people. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You're either concerned about the spread or you're not. Let's stop uh, playing these games. Dr. John Davidson, you're right. not playing games. You give us great information. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Bob. Take care. Dr. John Davidson, University Hospital in Cleveland, as well as Case Western Reserve University Medical School. Back after this. People go just where they will. I never noticed them until I... 
All right, it is uh, 9.58. We've got two minutes here before the top of the hour news. Uh, after the top of the hour, we're going to pivot dramatically to uh, State Representative Jenna Powell. This is a little bit health-related, too. Um, the Ohio High School Athletic Association has uh, released their pre-participation physical form on their website for all school-age athletes, uh, you know, uh, student-athletes. They've got to... Uh, They've got to have a physical before they can participate. And the form is a standard thing. It's it's there every year. And I received it yesterday, and I went ahead and downloaded it, and I printed it, and getting ready for my son for his senior year of high school football. And as uh, I started to fill out the history part of the form for my son, I noticed a couple of questions having to do with sex and or gender. One of the questions was, Sex assigned at birth, FM or intersex? And I thought, what do you mean assigned? There wasn't a doctor there giving me an assignment. It's how I was born. It's how everyone is born. It's not assigned. It's it's inherent in our chromosomal and anatomical uh, bodies. So I thought that was a little bit odd. And then I saw the next question. How do you identify your gender? F, M, or other. Now, I'm struggling and scratching my head here and apparently getting splinters in my fingers as I do so because I can't seem to figure this out. What in the world is an other? You're either female or a male. There is no other. What are we going to put? Canine? Feline? Simeon? I, I don't know. What does this mean? And then it dawned on me. Oh, I get it. This is the beginning of the end of girls' sports in the state of Ohio. This is the beginning of their intent to allow males to compete against and to dominate females because of how they state their identity. Jenna Powell has written a bill in the State House called the Save Women's Sports Act. She will join us to talk about that next on AM 1420 The Answer. This is AM 1420 The Answer. WHK W273DG Cleveland, a service of Salem Media Group with your local.